Good morning. Hey, welcome to Grace Point Church. Woohoo! Not sure how to respond to that one. I didn't ask for a response. I just said welcome. But glad to have you guys. Uh, good weekend so far? Yeah. Oh, that was a loud yep. That was good. All right. Hey, glad to have you. Thanks for being here this morning. I want to just add my voice to, um, to Pastor Joel's welcome on Father's Day. Um, we know it is a mix of all kinds of emotions for all kinds of people. Um, some, it's a great day. Others, this is a hard day. Uh, some of you are looking across the aisle or across your family and friend relationships and wish you had a dad like somebody else. And some of you, your dad was not present um, or is not present right now. And it's a hard day. And we just want to acknowledge that and, and say that we're with you. Um, we... we, we we, uh, we love you in the middle of all that. For those who have dads and you're just grateful for dad, we can celebrate that freely and that's good to do that and right to do that. We're grateful for the impact that dads have had in our lives. So just want to acknowledge that. And if you're a dad or soon to be a dad, happy Father's Day to you uh, as well. All right. So, hey, you found us in um, kind of the middle of a series, part five of a series called Anchor Point, which is very exciting because to me, it's so important to anchor our thoughts on something that's true and anchor our minds and our hearts on something that is true. And so we are kind of like this little rubber raft out here floating around in the middle of the world and where you find yourself in, in your stage of life, kind of floating through life, not that you're aimless or not that you have no plan, not at all but that you're kind of going through the ebbs and the flows of life. And the question is, what are you going to listen to? What ideas are going to direct your behavior? What thoughts are going to take precedent in what you decide to do with your money and with your dating relationships and with your career and with your marriage, with your children and with retirement, and with your health? What is it that you are going to kind of anchor to to give you direction for what you want to do and so anchor point to us is kind of that spot where we say there's got to be a point where I'm going to hold on to something and not let it go something that is true because you've been through it before if not you will be those times when doubts and anxiety and all that is just going to push up against what you've been taught what someone told you you should believe and you're going to wonder is this really as true as I think it is and so we want to talk about kind of what is true and what I should hold on to in this season of, of life, okay? So where we went to and where we are is a little letter that was written hundreds of years ago. Imagine if you wrote a letter now and, you know, 1,800 years later, 2,000 years later, somebody is reading that letter that you wrote to somebody, and this is kind of what we're doing. We believe that the Bible here at GPC, we believe the Bible is what we call inspired by God, meaning that God had a role. In, in helping to create and preserving the letters that are now in the Bible. So one of the disciples of Jesus named Peter, who was very um, charismatic in his affections, very passionate guy, he wrote this letter to uh, churches in the northwest province of Rome at the time. You already know that I've said they didn't have internet access yet. Okay, they were still out in the boonies out there, and he wrote this letter to them because they were dealing with persecution. And at the end of the letter, he said this, I've written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. That this is why I'm writing to you. That there's something that's true, and I want you to, as a response to what is true, to stand fast in this. In other words, what is our anchor point? What do I hold to in the middle of all things that could be false? All right? So this is where we've been. Now, to briefly get over real quickly, to get right through where we've been in our series, we've now going into part five. So we've already hit a couple things. And week one was probably our, our most significant week where we tried to 
get after some basic assumptions about how you and I see the world. And I said before, and I'll say again, if you get nothing else out of this series and only this little moment of review, that's going to be a win for your life and for mine, and that is simply this point here under week number one. I am not the center of the universe that God is. That a real pushback, a real challenge to how you and I see the world is this concept. I do not, God does not need to justify to me all the things that happen in my life. There can be confusing things, in fact, even very difficult and painful things that happen in my life, and I can still hold on to a God because I am not in a position, I don't have the capacity to understand all the whys and wherefores of how God is pulling off this thing called the world and the world in which I live. I am not at the center of the universe. He doesn't need to justify himself to me. I can still get through my life in the middle of pain, suffering, and heartache because I'm not at the center of the universe. If you are at the center of the universe, then everything does need to be explained to you. Everything has to make sense. All the whys have to be answered or else you're out of the game. And in the beginning of this thing, Peter says, listen, you've been chosen for this. You weren't at the center of the universe to begin with. God is, okay? So that's message number seven on, on, uh, I think it's the fourth or fifth time I've given this message of, you know, from, from week one, all right? Second week is this, that suffering is the pain on the journey from what I think I want to what I really need, that this idea of suffering comes into the life and into the human life, and it's this journey on, on the way from what I think I want to what I really need. And then we went over here to, uh, to this message, message number three, that actually Chuck Holt was able to give to us, and that is this, that in the midst of suffering, hope allows me to see the end and not focused on the process. So this whole idea of hope allows me to push beyond where I'm at. Last week was this message here, a little bit longer statement, but you know, here we go. We were bought for more than we think we're worth, so we can live for something more valuable than we ever imagined. And we covered the concept that we were bought, we were redeemed at a price, and we're redeemed to do something great, and that is to live for God's glory. Okay, so... That's kind of the big overview. Now, this morning, with all that in the background, <clears throat> we ready for this morning? Wow, the enthusiasm is overwhelming. We are ready to go. Okay, so I want to take you to some, some thoughts for this morning, and I want to take you back to a period of my life uh, which was uh, kind of troubling and difficult and um, full of fear and anxiety yesterday. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Back when I came back from uh, Barbados, I was 13 years old, and we came back to Lancaster County. Uh, many of you know this story, and we've kind of told it in different ways, and I, it's well documented for those who are regulars at Grace Point that I grew up as what we call a, a, a missionary kid or a third culture kid, so I'm going to use the term TCK to refer to a third culture kid. That would be anyone who um, grew up on the mission field, anyone who's a parent or a child of a military uh, personnel overseas, anyone who grew up and their father or their mom was in business and went overseas. So TCK is a category that we talk about. TCKs are weird people um, because they um, look like, uh, externally they look like they belong to their birth country or their parents' birth country, but internally they think and they're wired like their host country. You get that? So whatever an American looks like, and I don't even know what an American looks like, okay, but in Barbados, <laughs> I didn't look like a Bayesian. I, I didn't look like a native Barbadian, but I thought like one because that's where I spent most of my growing up years. And so when I was in Barbados, I would often feel just kind of not quite in because I looked differently. Just wasn't quite in, but I th- this is the way I thought. And so I came back to the States in high school, and I looked like I belonged, but I thought, like, 
what in the world is going on in this culture? I have no idea what's funny. I have no idea how to relate to people. I don't even know what is cool to wear. I mean, I don't know what people like to eat. I don't know what they like to do for fun. I mean, my hobbies are different. I mean, just everything about how I'm wired and think is different than where I came to. But, but the assumption was you walk down the, the halls of Peckway Valley High School and you'd look at me and think, he looks like he grew up around here, so he probably is from around here. And there I lived, kind of in this tension of never quite feeling like I totally belonged in either place, either here in the States or overseas in Barbados. It's said of TCKs that they most feel, feel at home on the airplane, in between one place and the other, and that's in transition, it's kind of where they're used to living. Um, and fair enough, I can take that assessment, I think that's probably fairly close to right. So what I had to do in, in, in high school, and it's not a terrible life, it's just what I had, I, you have to learn to study the culture. And I just had, I had to adapt, and you would too if you were in my shoes, and you just learn um, by observation to survive by figuring out all the questions that I had, like wh what is funny? How close do you stand to somebody? Um, is time important or not important? Um, what do people do for, for fun around here? What do they laugh at? What, what do they watch on TV? Because we, we didn't really even have a TV in Barbados. And all these, all these things that were a part of life here. And I'll tell you, over time, it, it changed. Like it, it grew on me, and I became a, a student of the culture. And why? The reason I did was because, flat out, I just wanted to belong. The last thing that I wanted as a 13-year-old, 14-year-old, 15-year-old, 16-year-old, the last thing that I wanted is the feeling of not belonging. That was terrible. That was scary. And that filled me with anxiety to want to belong, to be a part of whatever was going on around me. So the deal is I came to Peckway Valley High School and I was a good soccer player, but I didn't play soccer at Peckway Valley High School because I was afraid. I didn't know anybody. So the season had already started by the time we got there and I didn't know anybody. In fact, I had already played soccer for years and years and years. Um, but I, the reason I didn't play is because of this simple reason. I didn't feel like I belonged on that team. It had nothing to do with skill, nothing to do with my interests. It's just like I didn't feel like I belonged because I didn't know anybody. So I didn't play soccer. Now, the funny thing is, after several months, I began to make friends. A friend of mine named Ryan invited me to play basketball and a pickup game of basketball. Um, and the team was there, evidently. And I said, sure, I'll go. Why? Not because I've actually been good at basketball in my past, but because of you and your invitation will make me feel like I belong so anything that I can do that will make me feel like I belong I'm in it's basketball great if it was badminton I would have been there I mean it didn't matter just that I belong and so I went and I played basketball so my my athletic career at Peckham Valley High School is marked by basketball why not because I primarily wanted to be in the NBA but because I found a place where I could belong this need for belonging is your story as well as mine, isn't it? It's, it's true for infants all the way up until we hit the grave, isn't it? I mean, it, how many of you ever picked up a, a crying child and wondered what they needed? And the reality is they didn't really need anything except you. Right? They're, not, they're not hungry. They don't need their diaper changed. They just don't want to feel at the moment alone. And so they're comforted just by being held in your arms, Right? Infants, even from little on up, feel this way. Kids in elementary school, even in junior high and high school, one of the worst things that can happen to you, 
two terrible periods of, of, of the day, and I know this because I was scared of them at Peckway Valley, although we didn't have recess anymore. But recess can be scary, but, but the lunchroom is one of the scariest places, isn't it? Because who are you going to sit with? And if you don't have somebody to sit with, it's a terrifying thing for an elementary kid, for a junior high kid, for a high school kid to feel like I don't belong. If you're into the dating world and all that and all your friends are kind of connecting with other people and dating and all that and you're feeling kind of left out, terrible feeling of feeling left out. We all have this need to belong no matter what stage of life you're in. And it just changes as a stage of life that we're in. You know, in middle age, it's a matter of, boy, my friends are getting this or buying this or having this and I just kind of want to belong and so I'll do some of the same things because I want to belong. I might not even believe in it, I just want to do it. Even when you're aging, there's this kind of pain and loss of a loss of influence that you may be feeling of, boy, I don't belong as much. My voice of influence is waning and there's a loss of belonging. And so here's what I want to say. This idea of belonging um, has hit our culture, it kind of hit the fan in our culture with this um, cultural value of anti-bullying. And that's become really big. In fact, there's a reason why now and not like 50 years ago, there's campaigns to, to change the name of the NFL team, the Washington Redskins. Because our, our national uh, mood and culture is anti-bullying. In other words, we don't want people to feel left out, and the United Nations is saying, we feel left out, we want to change the name. Just last week, uh, as I was involved with our young adult class downstairs, I came into the class, and you, you finish this phrase for me if you know where I'm going, okay? So I need you to, to pay attention just for a moment. I walk into the class, and I see a couple sitting, a few people sitting there, and I say, hey, hey, hey. It's Fat Albert. Yeah, that's right. So we, so we did, hey, 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 it's Fat Albert. Now they looked at me like, where are you from, you know? Um, so think about that for a minute. Think about the Fat Albert show. Can you imagine an executive that would currently run a show about a fat kid named Fat Albert? I mean, seriously? We're in a different culture, aren't we? We're in an anti-bullying context. So we don't even use that word anymore. But there was a very successful, if you will, okay, cartoon for a period of time that intended to teach positive character lessons to kids. So we are in a culture right now where anti-bullying and kind of being pushed out and making anybody feel like they don't belong is a bad thing. Now, I'm kind of for that at a big level you know, because we need belonging. There was an assistant professor at Stanford named Gregory Watson. Uh, I think that's, hold on, Gregory yes, Walton, excuse me. And he said this about this feeling of belonging. He said this, if you don't feel like you belong, you're both less motivated and less likely to hang in there in the face of obstacles. If you don't feel like you belong, you're both less motivated and less likely to hang in there in the midst of obstacles. Isn't that true? So if you don't feel like you belong, let's just take it for a moment. If you don't feel like you belong here at Grace Point, you are less motivated. So if we need volunteers. You don't feel like you belong anyway. You're probably not going to volunteer, right? And you're less likely to hang in there in the face of obstacles. So you leave here and someone that you think should talk to you doesn't talk to you and you thought that they should have talked to you because you thought they saw them and they didn't. You will take that and say, boy, they didn't see me and they should have and these people don't really like me anyway. I don't feel like I belong. I'm out of here. Isn't that just kind of the way we work? Isn't that just the way that works? That we're less likely to hang in there and less motivated. And so this morning I have a, a simple message from the book of First Peter in the second chapter. And here, here's what it is. Three phrases, okay? Three phrases. And the first one is this. Number one, you belong. <laughs> you belong. Isn't that powerful? Mm-hmm. You belong. So you, 
and each phrase is, to me is so important for the truth or what it stands for as it, as it is. You belong, okay? In other words, there is a place, if you, are, if you say that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I just want you to know this is true. There is a place that you, where you belong. Now, I don't, I don't care what your mind tells you about that, what your heart tells you about that, if you don't feel that, whatever. I just want you to know that that is true, that there is a place where you belong. And I cannot emphasize that enough, that you belong. Now, if I keep emphasizing that, you're going to think that I'm turning into Oprah or Dr. Phil, right? Isn't this wonderful, psychobabble? You belong. Just to hold hands and let's sing Kumbaya together. You know, we all we belong, you know, whatever. Okay. So let me add this to this equation, because I think this is also true. You belong, and I cannot emphasize that enough, that there is a place for everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ. You belong. But also this. Get used to it. Get used to it. Get used to this truth. Get used to reminding yourself of this truth, that you do belong. I'm going to explain that even more. You belong. So get used to it in a loving kind of get used to it way, all right? You belong, get used to it. And thirdly, it's not about you. In other words, to correct any feeling of that this message is going to be about, man, let's just build your self-esteem and make you feel like a better person. I'm, I'm kind of for that because the more we understand who we are, I think we get a better picture of the image of God in us. But this is not just a message of let me make everybody feel as good as we can feel so we all feel like we belong. It's true that you belong. It is absolutely true you belong in the family of God. It is also true that we need to get used to thinking of ourselves that way. And it's also true that we belong not for our own sake. That we belong for something bigger than ourselves. And so your belonging is not so that you can feel just great about yourself, but it's so that you can go beyond yourself. And all three of those are so important, all right? Let's get into them this morning in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 to 10. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to check it out, to turn there with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible with you, by the way, there's a Bible in the pew near you. Grab that and uh, flip it over to the New Testament. Head about two-thirds of the way in. You'll find Hebrews, James, and then 1 Peter um, hanging out right in there. And by the way, if you don't own a Bible, that Bible is our gift to you this morning. Uh, in chapter 4, or excuse me, in chapter 2, verse 4, uh, Peter begins by answering the question of um, how do I grow? So in chapter 2, verse, verses 1 to 3, Peter's already laid out that we are, as followers of Jesus, like newborn babes to crave spiritual milk and to grow up in that. There's this expectation and anticipation of growth that we're just going to keep growing in that. So the question is, um, grow into what and how am I to grow? And so here's kind of how he answers that in verse 4. As you come to him... The living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God, and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Okay, let's pause it right there. As you come to him, the living stone, and what are the next three words there? Rejected by men. Rejected by men. As you come to him, the, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus. Rejected by men, yes or no? 
Yes. Chosen by God, yes or no? Precious to God, yes or no? Okay, so is it possible to be rejected by men but highly valued by God? Yes. I want the truth of what you just said to filter down into your heart for a minute. That it is very true, and it is a category that exists, where you can feel the disdain and the rejection from people around you. Where you can feel like you don't belong, you can feel like you're not worth it, you can feel like no one should value you, and still be valued by God. Does that category exist? Is that the category that Jesus is in? That's so, that's so important for us to understand this. The living stone, Jesus, the hero, if you will, of our faith, was rejected by men. He didn't have a seat at the lunch table. He didn't have a spot on the team. You had people talking about him behind his back. You had people trying to angle for his elimination. You had people cutting down his reputation, talking badly about him. You had people who were not his supporters, who wanted the worst for him, not the best. And in the middle of all that, he's precious to God. And he's chosen by him in the middle of all the pain that comes from rejection. And so I just want you to know, this is so hard. When you're feeling rejected and you're feeling like you don't belong because you're not quite a part of the team, you're not quite a part of the group, you don't quite think like everybody else, you're just not in the family. If you had a different last name, it'd be different. And if you had more money, it'd be different. And if you look differently, it would be different. Or whatever is it, it would be different and you'd be more close to belonging. I just want you to know, Jesus Christ was rejected by men, and in the middle of that rejection was fully chosen and highly precious to God in the middle of all that. And so the category exists where you can feel like you don't belong, you can feel like you're not valued, and yet be totally wrong. And God can value you in the middle of the rejection of people. It's amazing. It's amazing. Because verse 5, Peter goes on and says, you also so in other words, there is a parallel, there's a carryover from verse 4 to verse 5. You also are like living stones. You're like this. You're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. That you are, you and me, as, as people who say, and if you say that you've come to faith in Jesus Christ, this is true for you, that you are being built into a spiritual house house. You're a, a holy priesthood um, who is to offer to God acceptable sacrifices. In other words, the priesthood are the people who kind of mediate, if you will, between God and people. They are to bring other people and say, this is who God is. And they're to look at you and me and say, this is who God is. It's hard though, isn't it? It's hard to do that and hard to carry out that role when we feel like we don't quite belong and like our message doesn't quite belong. Here's what Peter goes on to say, kind of to drive it home further in verse 6. For in scripture it says, see I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the capstone, and 
a stone that causes men to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, a lot of content in there, a lot of material in there. And essentially, here's what we're learning in there. That there are going to be people who just will um, reject, not accept, push back against the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We kind of know that. There are going to be people who are going to say, good for you for going to church on Sunday. That's not really my thing. The church is not my deal. And good for you for, for singing those songs, for going to those events. Good on you. It's just not my deal. Now, how many of you, if you're selling something, want to sell something to someone you know will reject it? In other words, let me put it to you this way. Let's say that you had a boss um, who decided, you know what? I would like a new Harley. And I would like my employees to, uh, to help me in that effort. And so I'm going to ask my employees to sell subs for me as a fundraiser that I can get a new Harley. A ridiculous idea, right? Now, play it out. You got a choice now between am I going to do what my boss says and kind of keep the job or am I going to walk out? If you decide I'm going to keep the job and I'm going to go ahead and, and do this, how awkward would this be? How, how convinced of a salesman would you be to walk up and make your first sale and you're like, hey, I'm selling subs, kind of a normal thing. And people ask you, what for? You're like, my boss's new Harley. You're like, yeah. You know, and, and so here's the thing. Are you going to want to sell that thing? Not, not at all, right? And, and who should feel like a fool during that event? course the boss but also you know how you're going to feel how foolish this is going to feel there's no way that you're going to want to make a sale to someone that you know will reject what you have to say you're not going to want to put yourself in that position because you will then feel like "Mm, I don't belong (laughs) I don't belong I'm not going to put myself in a position to be rejected now play it out this way let's say that same boss has a family and his one daughter is dealing with cancer as employees, you decide we would like to raise money to cover the costs, the medical costs, as much as we can for, for our boss's daughter's cancer. Now, completely different cause. So now you're like, let's do a sub-fundraising sale. And you go, the same group of people that you have, and you say, you know what? I'm selling subs. If you're interested, here's what they are, five bucks or whatever. And they say, what for? And you say... My boss's daughter has cancer, raising money for her medical costs. I'm in. Now, even if the person says, I'm out, even if the sale doesn't happen, do you feel any differently than you would if you were trying to sell it for a Harley? (laughs) Absolutely. Why? Because the cause determines your confidence. The cause determines your confidence. The cause of what you're kind of fighting for, pushing for, determines your confidence in kind of making the sale. And so here's the thing. If, as we are holding out the gospel, if we are living our lives in a way that we're in front of people and saying, this is what I believe in, if it is for you or for me, if we're we're saying that I need the approval of these people, if I need to be sure that when I make a sale, I don't get rejected, if we think that the rejection of people is about us and not about Jesus, then we've missed it and we're not going to want to hold it out. 
Paul is writing in these verses 6 to 8 that there are going to be people who will always reject the truth and there will be people who will always kind of reject the sale, if you will. I don't, I don't like to think of the gospel in terms of a sale, but I want to carry this imagery for us. There are going to be people who are going to push back against what you believe. And here's the thing. If they push back because they think you're trying to raise money for your boss's Harley, that's one thing. If they push back because they're like, yeah, I just can't right now, that's a whole other thing. And my, my point in that whole illustration is saying that your cause determines your confidence. And the cause that you and I are fighting for is bigger than us. It's not a cause of, I believe in this, I need you to believe with me in this. It's a matter of saying, I believe in this. And this person, Jesus, who is the kind of pillar of my faith, was also rejected. He was rejected, and I hold him out to you as hope. I know some people will reject that, but they're not rejecting me in that process. They're rejecting the living stone, the cornerstone, and some people will just do that. But my well-being is not tied into the rejection. My cause determines my confidence. I believe in the cause. I believe in Jesus who was rejected. There will be people who will reject the message. It's just kind of the way that goes. Verses 9 to 10, Paul conti- or Peter continues writing with this powerful reminder about who we really are. Verses 9 and 10. He says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These, these verses are so um, theologically packed and so powerful, it, it's amazing to think about the implications of verses 9 and 10. Four different ways that, that Peter writes about this. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, and people belonging to God. He's writing to New Testament Christians, writing to people like you and to me now, and saying, you guys, I'm tying you into the Old Testament covenant of God with, with Abraham and with the people of Israel. You are now, you are now, as believers in Jesus Christ, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation of people belonging to God that you can declare his praises. So here's what that means. It means that we're all involved. It means that we're all involved. It means that this distinction between um, professional ministers and non-professional ministers exists in our mind only. In other words, if we're a royal priesthood, if we are a, we are a chosen people, then your faith and my faith our ability to express what we believe, our responsibility to lead and serve our families is, is ours, not mine, not just yours, but, but ours. There is a we to this faith that otherwise we cannot understand. There's no greater opportunity that professional ministers have than non-professional ministers. That divide between laity and clergy is kind of in name only. Just kind of, that's... That's the way the New Testament church is set up, that you're a royal priesthood. There's a responsibility that you have to your family, to your spouse, to your, to your children. That is yours and not, not mine. That's yours. There's a responsibility you have individually that's kind of yours and not mine that we share together. You're a royal priesthood. It means we're involved. Um, and to do what? To do what? Check out verse 9. The reason that we are brought together, people belonging to God, is so that we can declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his light. That we are to declare his praises. So you belong, get used to it, and it's not about you. It's not about you. It's for the praise of God, who's drawn us out of darkness into light. And in verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. 
mercy. You used to not belong, but now you do. You used to not have mercy, but now you do. It's just kind of the way that works. Again, not on the basis of your goodness, just on the basis of God. And so what? If you think about the so what this morning, here's where I kind of want to go. And this is going to sound familiar. Um, so what? Number one, you belong. Sound familiar yet? You belong. In other words, you are a part, you're a part of something. No matter where you no matter where you come from, no matter what gifts you think you bring to the table, what Peter is writing to people who are believers in Jesus Christ is, is that you belong. You belong to something. You belong to the people of God. There's a spot for you at the table. There's a part for you on the team. You are part of this. You are a part of this. You, you, I don't care what background you come from. I don't care how much you know about the Bible, about Jesus, about church. You belong. This is before, you don't have to pass a test. You don't, you don't even have to get approved by a committee. You don't have to have any kind of, uh, you know, ribbon given to you or certificate or graduation ceremony or anything. As, as someone who said, I have faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to the people of God. You're a part of that. You belong. Now, if you don't like that, we're going to fight through that. And so here's what I'm saying. If you don't like that, get used to it. Okay, how loving is that, right? Get used to it. This is what I mean. This is so important for us. It's so important for us to think right about this and then to act right, to think right. There are some of you, and you know, you know this, there are some of you, some of us who are just saying, I don't know if I can buy this. I mean, my, I have not, my parents have made me think that I don't belong. My spouse is kind of cutting me off at my knees and not respecting me, and they're not making me feel like I have the value or worth to belong to anything. The kind of place where I work, they're just, they're constantly kind of cutting after me. And then, check it out, this is most important. My own history, my own lack of confidence, my own insecurities are reminding me over and over and over and over and over again that, yeah, I can try and get up again, but I just know I'm going to fail again. I'm just saying, yes, okay, great, welcome to failure, welcome to all that. But listen, you belong to the people of God, so get used to that. You may not like it that God has accepted you. You may not like it that you don't have to work to be a part of this community. You may not like it that mercy has been given to you, that you don't have to prove you belong, but you do. And I'm telling you, you've got to think right about this. You have got to think right. You cannot be deceived on this one. And the deception goes like this. You're not quite as good as the people around you. You're not quite as good at that as other people. And therefore, you don't quite belong. You're close, but not quite. And I'm telling you that is a lie, and that is just not true. Get used to the truth, the loving, clear truth. There was a time where you did not belong, but when you place faith in Jesus Christ, you belong to the people of God. There's always room at the table. Get used to that. Think right about that. Please, please, please think right about that. You belong to this team. Now, think right. That is so important. But then act right. And this is important too. If you're part of a team, if you're part of a people, then you do things with that team and with that people, right? Now, here's the difference. Right now, there's this little thing going on in Brazil called the World Cup, okay? A lot of people in the world actually care about this. When you view yourself as a spectator of the World Cup, you can enjoy it, you can watch it, 
you can see some great plays out there. You pay a lot of money to go to a game, all right? But you're not really impacting the outcome of the game because you know I don't belong on the pitch. I don't belong on the pitch. I don't belong there. And here's where Peter is saying, listen, welcome to the game. You're a player in this thing. You're not sitting in the stands on this thing. You're not sitting in the stands of your faith. You belong to the church universal. You belong to the community of faith. And if that's true, and if you're a player, you better play. This is what we do. Get used to it. You're a part. Yeah, but I'm not good. I don't speak like that. I don't sing like that. I can't write like that. I can't talk like that. I can't serve like that. I don't have... Oh, you belong to the people of God. Oh, you belong. You belong. This distinction we make between people who get paid to do something and those who don't or those who are better musically or those who aren't, it's, it's simply a matter of understanding our role and our service together. There are some people who have certain gifts and that's just kind of the way that works. And without everyone playing the game, we are not nearly ready to go and serve as we should. I believe that the Spirit of God has gifted each one of us in here to do exactly what we need to do right now in our community, in our neighborhood, in this world, to get done and move forward with the mission of this church. But we need you to play the game. I'm not saying you're not. I'm just saying remember the truth that we're the people of God. And you're in the game. You're not just watching this thing on the stands. We need you. We need you. And we need you especially to think right and remind yourself, I belong. Not Dr. Phil and Oprah like, I belong. Okay, I belong. The truth is, you do belong. Get used to it. Get used to thinking that way and acting this way. And here's one question to think about when you're acting this way, and that is, am I waiting for someone else to do for me what I should do for myself? Am I waiting for someone else to fix my marriage? Am I waiting for someone else to fix my kids? Am I waiting for someone else to lead my wife or to lead my, serve my husband and care for one another? Am I waiting for someone else to really make that habit change for me? Am I willing to do that? Because you and me need to own our spiritual lives. It's, it's us. We're together in this, this priesthood deal, okay? Am I waiting for someone else? So you belong, get used to it, and it's not about you. Meaning... We have been brought, we've been brought as a people belonging to God, a holy nation, to declare the praises of him who pulled us out of darkness into light. To declare the praises of him. So you belong, why? Not just so that you can feel like you have a place at the table, which you do, and which does not ever get pulled out from under you. You belong. Why? Not just so that you can be fed, not just so that you can feel comfortable, just fine and good at some level but to declare the praises of him who pulled you and drew you from darkness to light. In other words, to provide encouragement and hope to people who need it. I mean, you know what it's like to be in the darkness, don't you? You you know what it's like to be discouraged. You know what it's like to think, I don't think I'm going to get to that school. I don't know if I can make my next rent payment. You know what it's like to feel like my my wife and I are not quite talking right now. We're just kind of, it's just not working. You know what it feels like to lose a a husband, to lose a wife? You know what it feels like to go through that? And there's darkness that comes from facing sickness that you didn't expect. There's darkness that comes from being broken up with and dumped, feeling like that was just not fair. There's darkness that comes from losing your job. You look at all this and you think, ah, 
you're at the table with a bunch of other people who are going through the same stuff, the same darkness and discouragement together as the people of God together. And Paul's saying, hey, come to the table. You belong. You absolutely belong here. On the basis of what? Not your goodness, but God's mercy. Before you didn't have mercy, now you do. You're here at the table because of God's mercy. Don't ever doubt that. Ever, ever, ever. And the reason you're here now is to declare the praises of him who brought you from the darkness you experienced to light. So in other words, give to the people around you hope. Give to the people around you courage. Give to the people around you a little taste of that light that you now have that you didn't have before. It's building up the body. It's encouraging one another by saying, listen, I'm going to make a note. I need to text this person this week because I know they're fighting this and I need to remind them to keep their head up. I'm going to pray for this person. I'm going to post a note on their Facebook wall or private message them and let them know, man, it's going to be okay. I'm going to give them a little bit of courage. I'm going to have someone over for coffee or invite them over for, for breakfast or whatever. I'm going to go visit with, speak to, write to, engage with when I'm at work and I see the person that I know I'm going to see this week. I know what happened to them this weekend. I am going to take that extra minute at the water cooler and just stop instead of saying, hey, I hope you had a good weekend. Say, hey, I was thinking of you and praying for you this weekend. I want you to know I care about you. Boom. Offer a little bit of light into darkness because you've been there and you've been pulled out of that by people who have done the same thing for you. Because you're at the table, you belong, and it's not about you, but it's about giving to the people that you are near a little bit, a little bit, little taste of the glory of God, a little taste to sing of his praises, a little taste of what it means that God is strong, good, and mighty, and majestic, and sovereign, beautiful, and amazing. You belong. Get used to it. And it's not about you. It's not about you. You belong. Don't ever forget that. Fight for that in your mind. Get used to that reality. And remember, as you serve us, we need each other. We need keep being a body that encourages not only one another in this room and in this place but the people that you connect with and it's not about you will you pray with me father we thank you for the truth of the fact that we are a people who have been saved not for our own benefit alone but for your glory and for the benefit of people around us and i pray that you this morning would remind us, show us, give us vision for what we need to do with this truth that, that we belong at this table, at this, in this family, and this people of God, and the reason that we're here is so that we can declare your glory. We can show your mercy. We can show your patience and your long-suffering, your gratitude and your love to people around us who are going through darkness, who are not seeing the light of the hope that is here. So help us, Father, to remember that we belong, that we need to get used to the fact that we serve and we are ministers in every area where we are and that it is not about us, but about your glory being made known through us by little drops of encouragement, courage, and vision given to the people that we interact with throughout the day. So Father, we thank you that we serve a great, strong, and mighty Savior who 
went to the grave, went to the cross, but that didn't end there. That he is Jesus Christ, worthy to be worshiped, worthy to be honored, who is ultimately the name above all names. May we continue to follow hard after him. We pray this in Jesus' name.